Hey, what's up, party people? My name is Stephanie Ghostin Paul. You've made it to the Take Nothing When I Die podcast, which is all about amplifying and celebrating the wisdom and genius of people who've managed multiple careers in one lifetime. Hey, you made it. Episode 16. We just passed the mid-season point. I hope you were able to take some time to listen to episode 15, which recapped all that we have been through in the first half of the season. And this interview with Paige Hendricks Buckner is kicking off the second half. I am so excited for you to hear what she has to say. She absolutely brings it. Now, this is not a solo episode, but I would be remiss not to name the current climate and how I'm feeling. Because I'm tired. I'm tired, y'all. We are in the midst of COVID-19 here in the United States. Each place is in various states around reopening. I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, and Georgia was one of the last to close and one of the first to reopen. Uh, We're also witnessing police brutality, racism, white supremacy, and anti-Blackness on television. It is on full display. Folks are protesting across every single state and internationally, and some shifts are happening. For me here, I am definitely mourning in a lot of ways. Not only am I grieving the senseless murders of Black lives, but I'm also really thinking about the loss of genius that happens not only for the folks who have been murdered, but those of us who are still alive to witness. And so I do think about Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Tony McDade, Nina Pop. And all of these folks who didn't become who they were destined to be. And I also think about how much time and genius we lose by explaining ourselves, by educating folks, the time we have to spend to try to recover from all of this, the time that we spend living in fear or terror, the time that we take to justify who we are and why, and those of us who have to show up in workplaces that have not given us the space to mourn. I just think about and have been grieving all about that loss. And it's profound. There's a huge cost. And it makes us tired. It's a burden that other folks do not have to carry. And that has been weighing pretty heavily on my mind. What has also surfaced uh, here recently is that Brands, companies, sports teams, nonprofits, foundations, all of these folks are making public statements about how Black Lives Matter and about how they are condemning racism and white supremacy and all these things. And it makes me tired to think about the fact that they haven't been here the whole time. Like, this is not new. What is happening is not new. It is not a new manifestation. It is not an accelerated manifestation. It is the same thing that we were talking about in 2010, in 2005, in 1996, in 92, in 82, right? Like nothing has changed. And so when I see these statements and I look at their leadership team 
and it's homogenous, or I see that they are talking about talking about something, planning about planning, or trying to try, it just makes me tired. And I'm definitely grieving in that sense. I will say what has been bringing me joy and is bringing me immense joy, I think it's so important because we need that too, right? We need to see Black joy and Black love and Black humor and Black happiness. And all of those pieces are part of our human existence and they're part of our resistance. Um, For me, that has really been leaning into this course that I'm taking directed by Alexis Pauline Gums. It's called the Kambahi Throughline Immersion Experience. And in this course, what she's doing is highlighting how we've resisted throughout history. And one of the lessons that I took this week, it's a self-directed course, was a lesson on Harriet Tubman. And she had a meditation on Harriet Tubman's statement. Harriet Tubman had a dream that her people were free. Literally the phrase, my people are free, not my people will be free, not I hope my people will get free. She had a dream that said, my people are free. And the next day she woke up and she acted accordingly, right? And so I thought about all the people who come before me, past ancestors whose footsteps I am walking in. They were protesting, they were escaping, they were boycotting, they were putting their lives on the line not knowing what would come of it. So not only has that phrase, my people are free, been at the forefront of my mind, the question that she asked during that meditation was, what would you do if you already knew your people were free? What would you do if you knew your people were already free? And so that's that's been a huge boost for me this week in thinking about what would I do if I knew that my people were already free? How do I act accordingly? How do I not wait until the future? And it has led to kind of a morbid but very empowering realization that I won't be alive to see the changes that I am advocating for. And yet my life and what I'm doing with it are a huge and will be a huge part of that liberation. So That is what's bringing me joy. I'm also seeing so many folks in so many industries, roles, statuses across the globe being radicalized before my very eyes. And that also brings me so much joy. Okay, now on to Paige, because this is why you came. We do have Paige Hendricks Buckner on the show today. Again, I am so excited for you to dive into her interview. I would say Paige probably has the second most slashes of anyone we've had on the show. She has built a tremendous network of people as she's traversed multiple careers. And one thing I really appreciate about Paige is she really loves people. And this is something that we share in common. I think if you are a complex and skillful problem solver, you have to be clear about what problems you're solving And you also have to really be invested in the people who those problems are plaguing, right? And so Paige embodies this fully. She genuinely shows up, whether it's as a friend, as a colleague, as a teacher, whatever she's involved in, she's putting people first, 
which means that the problems she's solving and the solutions that she's coming up with reflect the fullness of the people who she is in love with. And you know how messy and complicated and multidimensional we can be as humans, and she loves us still. So thank you for that, Paige. Before we hop into her interview, I do want to read her bio to you so you know exactly who you're hearing from. Paige Hendricks Buckner is the program director of Founder Gym. Throughout her career, Paige has operated at the intersection of education, entrepreneurship, and social justice. After graduating from the University of Missouri, she taught fourth and fifth grade as a Teach for America Corps member while earning a master's degree in education. When she wasn't teaching elementary school, she co-founded the Nevada chapter of the Not For Sale campaign, an anti-human trafficking organization. She relocated to Portland, Oregon in 2011 to join her husband, and she worked at the Urban League of Portland, helping families get access to health insurance. She then joined Multnomah County as a policy advisor for an elected official. And then after attending a startup weekend, she started building a company and made the leap into full-time entrepreneurship when her company was selected for the Startup PDX Challenge. As a founder and educator, she has helped cultivate the Portland ecosystem, including teaching entrepreneurship with the Thai Young Entrepreneurs Oregon Program, serving on the board of the Oregon Entrepreneurs Network, and co-founding the Accelerate Fund for Women Entrepreneurs. Side note, like she noted all this stuff very casually, like this is a flex. I just want, I just want people to know that. Back to the bio, <laughs> when she's not teaching, Paige loves gardening, going for long walks with her family, and reading science fiction. Here is our interview. All right, we have Paige in the building. Welcome, Paige, to the Take Nothing When I Die podcast. Thank you for having me, Stephanie. I'm so excited to be here and to talk to you. I'm so very excited too. It's one of those conversations, very much looking forward to not only do I think you embody what the podcast has developed and is looking for, but also just you're a very smart, funny, talented, brilliant person. And I think our audience will learn so much from you. So it's my honor and pleasure. Well, you're incredible. And I think what I love so much about this podcast is this idea that we all have something to give, but also there's so much knowledge that I've heard from the other episodes and I'm so honored. I'm so honored to be here. So thank you. Thank you. Yes. So let's kick it off. The first two questions I always ask every single guest, where in the world are you and how are you doing for real, for real? Not the fake autopilot answer. Yeah. So I'm in Portland, Oregon right now. I live in Portland. I have since 2011. And how am I doing? For us personally, we are social distancing, self-quarantine during the COVID-19 epidemic. And I feel like I'm finally starting to get my legs under myself again after making that decision. Because the first part of that, such an, uh, there, there was almost an adrenaline rush at feeling like I needed to act to help my family members and my community members. And I, I work with awesome students all over the world, supporting them. The sense of urgency turned into an adrenaline rush, which then kind of fueled me for about a week and a half. And then we got into the second week and I started to feel pretty exhausted. So getting up every day really early before my son wakes up and then trying to get work done was something that I felt really good 
about until about Wednesday of this week. <laughs> and then I felt pretty exhausted. Uh, so I decided to sleep on a little extra um, and pause and do something fun that had nothing to do with work. Uh, and that was fun for me. That helped me start to recharge a lot. So here I am on Friday, getting back to your initial question. I'm feeling like I am stabilized and have my bearings about myself. And now I'm realizing, okay, we're two weeks into this. This is likely going to last much longer. And I have a lot to be grateful for and I have a lot left to do, but I can do that from a place of quiet instead of sense of hurry. Mm -hmm. My last guest talked a lot about like the world being very noisy and mm. things have kind of quieted down now. So I'm, I'm curious to see how that will unfold um, as the self-imposed or state-imposed social distancing continues. But I do want to know, what was the fun thing that you did? What did you do for yourself? Oh my gosh. Okay. So the fun thing that I did for myself was I watched a show on HBO called Avenue Five. Hmm. I love funny, funny, dark humor. And Avenue Five reminded me of a few other shows I've watched that I thought were really funny. One was Veep, for example. And But here's the wild thing about it. It takes place on a ship that gets stuck in space. And so these people are stuck on this ship and it's about how they all behave towards each other, people's roles, what's real, what's not real, what's perceived reality. <laughs> hmm. It's just, it's, it's so funny and so dark and the characters are each just so rich. Like they're almost painted in fluorescent colors. Like the hairstyles are really interesting. The actors are so good and I really respect a lot of the talent on that show. Uh, so it's just, it was really fun. And I ended up watching maybe six episodes in a row. Nice. Yeah. So I was up a little late that night, but it was a nice change. Um, like I said, while the topic was kind of about being quarantined in some ways, being trapped, it was so funny and so creative and in space. So it helped me break out of my day to day. Very cool. Very cool. I have to check that out. It's definitely going into the show notes. And then I've been binging lots, podcasts, TV, movies, Netflix, like all of the things so that I'm, I'm definitely making a list because we're, we're going to be in this for, for a while. Totally agree. And I, I also wanted to share some of my favorite other things, which I've talked to you about, Stephanie. One of my favorite podcasts is Scam Goddess. <laughs> yes. Yes. The podcast is so funny and it's really funny because they're funny. Those people are not, the stories of people getting scammed aren't funny. It's, it's unbelievable that people would take advantage of people like that. That's kind of wild to me. It actually made me think what kind of scams are going to be born out of this time, which is an unfortunate reality. I've start, I've seen some, you know, some messages like, oh, your Netflix password is broken. Get in. <laughs> people know you're thirsty for that Netflix oh. password. It's not. Don't click the link. I just want to tell people that. It's Don't fake. It's fake. Um, yeah, just funny, 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 funny stuff. I think, you know, also I think I've talked to a lot of my friends in the black community specifically, humor has been a way to deal with tragedy for so long, right? Some of our favorite comics are people who understand how to take the tragedy of their own personal experience, the tragedy of the community and talk about it in a way that we can laugh. And so I know I've talked to some people who are like, oh, I can't, I don't understand why people are being so funny. It's like black Twitter has really figured it out. Like, <laughs> TM, Black Twitter, Twitter TM, yes. Yes, thank you. Like, it's so <laughs> funny. It's so funny. And, and I think that's, be, that's in relation to how the Black community has reacted to trauma in the past. Like, it's, 
it's, you know, humor is how we get through it. So I'm interested to see how humor is going to continue to get us through it now. That is a whole separate podcast that I do want to be part of. Yes. um, Because I want to kick it off with the meme. There was somebody, there was like a white woman who was like, for all the people who are not freaking out right now, what is wrong with you? Like, why aren't you freaking out? And somebody was like, a black person was like, ancestral trauma, enslavement, like, like, listen, all these reasons, which was hilarious. And then people started piling on. Yeah. And she like still was not getting it. But the person, it was just, yes, we'll link the meme. That's a separate podcast. Totally. Yeah. That we'll also do. Yeah. It's like, how you, how do you deal with trauma? I think everyone deals with it differently and I want to respect people's different ways of dealing with trauma, but I am grateful to be part of a community to be a black person in this time and have humor to lean on and to also act as like a salve, you know, like a, a medicine almost when things are really hard. I'm with you. Next podcast. Perfect. Humor. Love it. Speaking of scammers and humor. Damn. (laughs) Speaking of scammers. Speaking of of fake people. (laughs) um, Taking us right into the questions. Because a lot of the folks, when I ask this question, what they bring up a lot is this question of what do you do is kind of that measuring stick. Mm -hmm. People are asking it in a disingenuous manner. You give a disingenuous answer. And then we play this game, right? Like we're going back and forth with like, are you worthy? Should I spend 30 more seconds talking to you? Should I give you my business card or should I go to the next person? So in all the spaces that you've occupied, whether virtual, whether in person, like living physically in different places and also in the different roles that you've worked in, I'm sure you've been asked this question so many times. Paige, what do you do? So on a scale of one to 10, how much do you dislike that question? And 10 is like, hated it. One is like, please ask me every single day. I mean, you could ask me every single day. When somebody asks you what you do, there's so many opportunities there. I've had people, and it actually depends on the city where I am, which has been really interesting, and the crowd that I'm in, right? There are some people who ask you this question and they're trying to figure out status, right? There are some people who are asking you this question or trying to figure out commonality, and it just depends on where you are. And as someone who really enjoys connecting with people and tries to, not I'm not perfect at this, but tries to take every opportunity to learn about someone new, it, I think it's all interesting data, right? To figure out like who, how they ask this question. So I always think it's a great opportunity for storytelling, that's one and connection. I can't tell you how many times I've said that I do a thing and it's turned into a really interesting relationship or an introduction that has been super fruitful. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. And every time that I meet a new person who's a great connection, it's good for the whole of my network. So I, I, that's how I like to think about it. I've also, you know, I, I've worked so many different kinds of jobs, which is why I love this podcast so much. So I've been a waitress in college I have uh, worked at the Apple store, helping people learn how to use their phones and computers. I get a lot of calls from people uh, who are friends and family, like, how do I fix this? Which I totally, I like, and I love helping. Um, and I've also, uh, you know, I've been an educator for my whole professional career in a bunch of different ways. I'll never forget, there was one time I went to a party and someone said, oh, I heard that you were a teacher and said it in such a condescending way. But it was actually, I mean, it was really funny because I learned something new about myself, about how important I feel like that badge of honor as a teacher is and as a guide is, but it also taught me a lot about that person. 
that they would be so condescending. And it immediately helped me rule them out, honestly. I was like, well, you're not part of my crew, right? Like you're not somebody that I, I will never want to connect you to other people because of the way that I saw you behave towards me. So I almost love being in a position where people don't know anything about me and where I come from or how I can be helpful because it allows me to see who they really are. And then I can really support them or really not support them, depending upon, you know, how they treat me. Because often if they don't think much of me and they treat me in a certain way, I would never want them treating other people. This has been a hard lesson. I've learned this, right? It's like, oh, well, maybe they just started off on the wrong foot. It's like people actually often show you who they are quickly. And I'm also saying this to say that maybe I've come off the wrong way to someone before, right? And then as a result, I've also not been the right person. So getting back to your initial question, I love it. I think it's an awesome gateway and an opportunity and I have fun with it. Yeah. I'm hearing though that it's contextual, right? Sure. You're using it to mm. figure out the person. Your answer might also change. Like when you think about the context and how people ask you, do you find that your answer changes based on how the energy that they bring to that question? 100%. And it also changes depending upon what I think the job to be done in that setting is. Mm -hmm. Right. So what am I, why am I here? Right. So for example, you know, when I, when I had started a company, my intention often was to find new partners, new team members, uh, new customers, right. Sometimes new investors depends on the situation. But when I walked into the room, I was clear about which identity I needed to bring, but also was clear about the other identities or the other experiences that I brought to the table that could be helpful in navigating this room. Mm -hmm. So like maybe I have another lived experience that would allow me to connect better with someone in the room. I'm always aware of how to dip into that well, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've worked in, in government environments, public policy environments. And so I think about who I'm also, who am I representing when I walk into the room? My dad always says this to me is like, you represent all of us when you walk into this room and that all of us can change, right? It could be your whole family. Like when you're a kid, don't mess around in public because you're about yeah. to get, all of us will be shamed. You will bring shame to your family and your ancestors don't do it, right? But I also took that into my work. So when I would, if I was doing public policy work, whatever room I walked into, I wasn't just representing myself. I was representing the whole office or even government, right? Potentially, even though I wasn't actually doing all of government, I could potentially be representing that. So I think thinking about who you're showing up for and what badge you're wearing when you show up in the room also helps me think about how to communicate. And I don't want that to, to come across as me. I'm not being myself. I'm just bringing pieces of myself that are most relevant. We don't have time to hear people's whole life story, right? But we often hear, we have time to connect in ways that are really important and relevant. And so I try to bring that in a way that is direct and relevant. Hmm. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit how you, how you figure out which pieces to bring, right? So talk to us a little bit about that packaging process. So when you show up into a space, you know yourself that like, I've done this role, this role, this role, and this is who I am. Here's some of my experiences. How do you decide which pieces to bring forth? And how do you decide how to put what you have into the context of the situation? I think it's first about preparation. And it's a lot of my roles have been roles where I have information in advance. So before I walk into a room, so if I'm a, an elementary school teacher and I'm going into a parent-teacher conference, what I'm thinking about is, 
what is the information this parent needs to know in order to feel comfortable and safe in this space? Because sometimes parents don't, right, with their own educational experiences, but also like they're getting everything that they need in the room. So sometimes I would bring, like I might talk to a student about their parent before a parent-teacher conference just to get to know them a little bit better. And when they walk in, knowing a little bit about them, I can show like, hey, I've been listening to your student talk about you here's who I am, here's where I come from, maybe that helps, maybe we come from the same part of the country and so there's something there we can connect with. So I think preparation is one. I think the second part of that is thinking strategically about how you wanna use that time in that space. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to a networking event and you're thinking, okay, so my intention at this networking event is X, Y, or Z, and then I think about who's there, thinking about like, okay, so what do I need to accomplish in this space in order for me to get the job done? And maybe talking about how I studied abroad in Dubai is relevant, right? Because someone here has experience in the Middle East and like that's relevant and we can connect in that way. Um, but I'll tell you, I've spent a lot of my life thinking about how to communicate with people because I did speech and debate in high school. And mm -hmm. you think so much about not only the information you're communicating, but how you're communicating it, right? So I think the third part of that is also thinking about how you show up. So feeling your most comfortable self. That means wearing clothes that make you feel comfortable. You know, if you don't like wearing makeup, don't wear makeup. If you do like wearing makeup, wear makeup. However you need to show up in your most powerful, most comfortable self, I think about that a lot too. And part of that is also practicing saying the things you want to say. Mm -hmm. So maybe you walk into a room and you don't always feel comfortable talking about things. I can't tell you how many times I've rehearsed conversations just so I can be comfortable because if you're nervous, you, you don't listen very well and you need to be a really good listener. Mm -hmm. So when you walk in the room, then you need to be listening really, really carefully to people because listening helps you connect with them in an authentic way. You don't want to roll up with a script and bust that out on everyone. I think that's odd, but if you prepare enough for people so that you can actually focus on them and listen to them, you'll learn so much. And then you can bring the pieces of yourself that are germane for that conversation or for that relationship. Mm -hmm. Did I answer your question at all, by the way, Stephanie? Yeah, you know, I course. just like to talk. No, this is good because I'm seeing some threads. I feel like how you responded is really, it's how I asked the question is about a micro moment, I think, right? Like as you're getting prepared for certain events or to meet someone, you're preparing before you go. And I want to zoom out just a little bit and bring it to a macro level. When you think about the trajectory of your career and all the roles that you played, how have you packaged that process and how have you communicated that for where you are today? So like, not necessarily in a micro moment, but like if you had to give your biography today, there's a way that you packaged your career. So can you talk mm -hmm. to us about that? Do you, uh, let me make sure I clarify so yeah. I can answer this correctly. So are you asking me, is there a way that I strategize around choosing certain experiences or around communicating all the different experiences? Communicating all the different experiences. And we can talk about choosing. We'll, we can get to that right after. And I think for folks, I think some folks who, who have done a lot or who do a lot, what they're struggling with is how do I put this all together? How do I, how do I even like talk about how studying abroad in Dubai is related to being a waitress, is related to be an elementary school teacher, is related to like talking to investors. They're struggling with 
putting all those pieces in a package for people to understand pieces yeah. of who they are. That's such a good question. And I appreciate you so much because it's always, you're so strategic and so thoughtful. And I think about how my life has been very unstrategic and very unthoughtful, <laughs> like kind of taking life as it is and trying to figure out how as I go. And then looking back and trying to think, you know, with hindsight, you're, you're like, oh, well, maybe there was something to all of this. I think the one thing that's been a consistent theme throughout all of these has been this being a teacher. I think all of these things are about communicating information, but not being a teacher like an expert, being a teacher like a guide. And what I mean by that is when I'm a waitress, I'm not an expert in cooking the food, but I can communicate the menu to you enough and give you my lived experience of what the food tastes like and help you make decisions or I can help you pair it with a wine because I just worked a wine tasting last week, which I used to do in college. I'd work wine tastings. I worked mm -hmm. at a gourmet restaurant and then I worked at a country club and it was super fun. It was actually such an interesting set of data you would never imagine you'd want to know about. Not for the fun piece of it, but just thinking about all these variables you're trying to pair up, right? This food and then this drink together, which is kind of cool. Anyway, so like talking about, I'm talking about wine, right? And talking about food. I'm trying to communicate with you about that. Um, when I'm an elementary school teacher, I'm not an expert in math or maths, as some of my friends like to say. Like, but what I am good at doing is trying to um, take information and break it down into pieces and walk you through how to understand it, right? Or my current job where I teach at Founder Gym, my job is not to be an investor and be perfect at everything. My job is to help find the right experts, interview those experts, and, and really truly get them to tell you. So I'm your guide. I'm like... Come along with me as we choose our dinner. Come along with me as we try to learn fourth grade algebra. Come along with me as we try to understand how to raise money for your tech company. And I actually had, is, I went to go see an astrologer here in Portland, which was super fun. And, and I see her probably once a year. And one of the things she said to me, actually, the first time I think she met me is, you are not a teacher in the sense that you're an expert. You are a teacher in the sense that you're a guide. You walk first and then you bring other people along with you. And when I think about every job I've had, even working at the Apple store, I'm not an expert in Apple products, but I can probably figure it out enough to teach you how to figure it out, right? Uh, or signing people up for healthcare with the Urban League. I'm not an expert in health insurance, but I can teach you how to sign up and understand how to break down this language. So um, it's funny, I've actually never thought about that until just now. So there, there's my on the fly answer to my whole go. life thus far. <laughs> Good. This is good. This is good. So well, now let's, let's talk about the choosing of the experiences, right? So the first part of the question where you're clarifying, you said that you have not been strategic. I have a hard time believing that um, because I think that you're knowing you, you're a person that values all kinds of data. And so sometimes I'm sure that you are listening to something that may be deep inside you that is calling you to something and maybe you haven't named it or like positioned it or packaged it but there's a rhyme to your reason so i'm gonna i'm gonna push i'm gonna push back on you on that okay okay and i think that there's this idea that you choose a role you be very intentional you go after the thing and then like that's your thing like there's a prototype of what do you want to be okay here's the path and it's linear, which we all know is pretty much BS. Like Straight there are up. very few people who have gotten to doing the thing that they're like, their soul wants them to have. Yes. That was from one of my guests, doing the work your soul must have through a linear route. Most folks are like, here's what I don't want to do. 
oh, I tried that and I like this piece and I'm gonna try to do more of that here. Or I need to create something so that I can do that. But I do think it starts when we're really young. We push kids into roles based on how they answer this question. Yes. What do you want to be when you grow up? Yes. So in a very well, that long was a good way, ass transition. Ooh. I'm gonna bring it back. Damn, that was a to great transition. Oh, this so question good. because yes. I feel like we set kids on this path, and it's unrealistic. Yes. It's like ridiculous that we're asking them this question. Then they answer, and we kind of funnel them. But we stop asking after a while. So for you today, Paige, you can answer in one of three ways. Or three of three ways. Any, I'm not giving a million ways. This podcast is like five hours. It's It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) But I got some really great feedback because the question I get posed is, "What do you want to be when you grow up? Who do you want to be when you grow up? Or how do you want to be when you grow up?" So one, all three, take a piece, do what you want, but please answer for us this question that we stop asking kids after a while. This is such a great question, especially because I started my, I would say, you know, my post-college career as a teacher. And I thought about this a lot because part of what you're helping kids to do rather is to vision about what the future is going to look like. And this is especially the case when things get really hard, right? It's like, what's that, we used to call it, what's our big goal? And what is it that are, that they're going to do, right? And I think the fallacy that you realize, oh my gosh, There is no real answer to that question. So I think for me, I would just like to be the best possible version of myself. And I'm in my mid thirties now, I'll be 35 in July. And as I think about where I am in life, I'm just getting comfortable with all the things that make me, me good and bad and trying to understand how to leverage those things that make me really good at what I do and help other people and navigate the things that are built into my DNA that make me challenging to work with or uh, you know, lead me down a path where maybe I don't care for myself very well. So I think that you know, as I'm looking back at my whole experience that I've had, there's always this sense that I could do better. And I'm happiest in roles where I have an opportunity where I've, I've experienced some level of mastery, but get to see a whole new level I've never seen. Mm-hmm. And I get supported by a group of people who are also curious and eager to get better, right? And, and then there's a service component to all of those things. Um, I would say my current job is a dream job. I've never had a job like this. It's so much fun. I get to be the biggest, nerdiest version of myself. I get to walk into meetings and quote all the science fiction novels that I've been reading, right? Like, but at the same time, I get to also be really data-centered. I want to be the best version of myself. I think who I look to for that, who helps me understand what that looks like, who I want to be when I grow up, are my closest family members. Um, I'm so fortunate to be related to, whether um, through my needle family or through marriage, because I have an amazing, amazing family. Um, I have five sister-in-laws and I love all of them to pieces and wonderful nieces and nephews. We just got our first great uh, niece, which is really exciting. So I know, I'm a great aunt, it's very cool. Um, But just thinking about how each of them lives their lives really differently and with so much compassion, it's really cool. I mean, 
I, I think about one of my nieces that I spent a lot of time with since she was young, I would take her to meetings with me. And it was just really neat to hear her observations about what was happening in the world around me. And what I want for her, for Emma, is that Emma gets to be the fullest version of herself. And I realize that if she doesn't see that example around her, she can't be that. So, you know, I look to my family members, both adults and kids to be that person. And then I'm always, I think, looking for role models in the world who are doing that work and just trying to be the fullest versions of themselves and do and serve other people at the same time. Does that answer your question? How do you feel? Yes. About that? Yes. That was wonderful. I like to do a check for understanding. <laughs> do we accomplish our goal? We got it. So I, I think you answered the, the next question I was going to ask. Would you say your founder gym role has been your favorite role so far? Yeah, by far. And I think part of the reason, and actually I remember the first week that I was doing this work and, and I just had my son, I think three months before my son was born in March of 2018. I joined the founder gym team in June of 2018. And I started my work there by interviewing some of the former students from the cohort. So we call them alumni. So FG alumni. And I was in awe of what they were building. I mean, I've never had a role before, again, except for actually when I was an elementary school teacher, where you get to be at the intersection of all these brilliant people in countries all over the world building solutions for their customers, who, by the way, are from underrepresented communities. So they're often coming at it from an angle that maybe they haven't seen in the past, right? And they're, they're so creative and they're so thoughtful. And some of them are the first member of their family to go to school or to start a business, or some of them have had huge accomplishments in everything from solar energy to television. I mean, these people are incredible, and I have the privilege of interacting with them and acting as a guide for a very specific skill set that hopefully will unlock for them uh, not only a future for their company and their team, but also for the people that are in their families, right? Our goal is that they will shift generational wealth through the people that they hire, through uh, you know being able to pay themselves, maybe hopefully having exits, right, where they sell that company or they, they go public with it. So I think it's so much fun because of the students, but also the team. I get to work with incredibly heart-centered people who are also really smart and funny and easy to work with. And it's not like our work's easy. I mean, I want to be very clear about that. We push on each other really hard. We go really hard in the paint. I remember a few weeks ago, we decided to accelerate one of our timelines for our founders. And I stayed up all night. It's the first time in my life I've ever pulled an all-nighter. I did not do this in college. I also worked like two jobs in college starting my sophomore year. So I could not stay up all night while going to school full-time. And I've never had so much joy in my work. I mean, I literally, I just sat and I was building this graduation article and it just brought me so much joy to be able to serve them. And that's what I was running on, right? When you don't have energy, you don't have sleep, you got that cup of coffee, but it's the sense that, you know, like I'm helping these people on their journey. It just, it was so energizing. I love it. It's so much fun. My job's fun. It's hard. I love it. So how many roles do you think you've had? Have you counted them before? Okay. I'm just going to run them off really fast. So I've been a waitress. I worked at the student union desk. Senior year, I had three jobs. I worked them all part-time and then was going to school full-time at the time. So I could graduate on time with a degree in geography and international studies. And so I also worked for Teach for America recruiting people. I started teaching elementary school. Then I helped start a chapter of an organization that worked on anti-human trafficking issues in Nevada. 
I moved to Oregon. I started working at the Urban League, and then I worked at the Apple Store, and then I was a policy director for an elected official. Then I started my company. Then I started at the same time instructing high school entrepreneurs on how to build their company. I started doing that for adults. Then I joined Founder Gym. 12? Well, 12 plus. 12. Yeah, I just, and I also poured a cocktail and soda syrups uh, part time when I need a little bit of cash. Model, like, <laughs> oh, I forgot model. about the modeling stuff. Yeah, I did some modeling work to make some side money. That was bananas. That's a bananas experience. I've always worked several jobs or had several roles at once because I always feel like I'm not doing enough and that I can push myself to do more, which is a good and a bad thing. And actually, because of that, I want to say really quickly, I'm a recovering unprofessional person. I have a really good friend, Vanessa Van Edwards, who says, I'm a recovering awkward person. And I'm like, let me steal part of that. Because I've done too many things at once, I don't always execute all of them very well. So this is my lesson that I'm learning in life. Do more by doing less. That's a real thing. Oh my like, gosh, that's, that's a, a real lesson. Thing. Um, okay, so 12 plus, really, you named like 13 and a half, like 14 plus roles. And that was formal. Like, I'm sure you've done unpaid work. You've spoken for free. You've been on boards. You are a mother. Like, the roles are plentiful. So for someone listening who's like, great, that's really good for you, Paige. Like, you can do all the things, but I can't do it. What would you say to that person? What, what is it that you think sets you apart? from the folks who like don't venture out and do more than two roles or they want to make the leap, but they don't. Some of the feedback I've gotten from this podcast are folks who are like, great for y'all. I'm risk averse. I don't have the gene, whatever trait you have. I just don't have it. What would you say to those folks? Yeah, I think so. Two things. I think one, it's totally fine if you want to focus and do one thing. Some of the people that I admire most in my life are just so good at being so clear in regards to what they really care about and what gets their time and energy. Some of my closest friends have the best boundaries and they are very clear about what they will do and they won't do. And for a long time, I didn't understand that. And then what I realized is and I can't remember what the experience was. I was just severely burnt out. I've gone through several phases of burnout in my life. And I realized they don't get burnout like that. You know, like maybe they get tired and frustrated like everyone else, but uh, they don't go on these like binges of work like I was used to going on. And so one thing is, I think that's great. If you have one thing that you're really good at and you're really focused on and you have great boundaries, and you know you get lots of opportunities to do things, but you don't want to do them. I think that's great. I am going through a period in my life right now where I'm getting super focused. I'm saying no to things so that I can say yes to a bunch of things in my day-to-day -day work because I want to give my full heart and soul to what I do. And that actually is grounded in the belief that what I do in my day job and that I can give my fullest self to my day job means that I don't have to go out and supplement my soul by doing all these other things. I think when I've done a, too many things in the past, and I, I will never forget this conversation I had. So I went in to get uh, an application for a major fellowship when I was a senior in college. And you know, keep in mind, my junior year when I came in, I was a study, like a work study student. I sucked. I just want to say I was very bad because I was trying to figure out how to balance school and working at the same time. And I wasn't very good at it. My sophomore year, I started waiting tables. And then I think it was like late in my sophomore year, I got a job 
working in a student union. And then I was still going to school full time. I was trying to get two undergraduate focus area, like two majors. Right. And then I was trying to prepare to study abroad. I was just doing all this stuff. I was paying my own rent and trying to be helpful where I could for my family. And I remember I did all this work. I helped start an organization with this group of amazing human beings in college. And I got to this office and I was talking to the person who was scanning the scholarship application with me. And she was like, gosh, you just haven't had that many leadership roles. I was like, what do you mean I haven't had that many leadership roles? And she's like, well, have you been the president of any clubs? And I'm like, no, because I had to work. So I had to pay for school or I had to pay for my rent or my books. And I remember thinking to myself, why was I doing all those things? I mean, I did care about them for sure, but why do I do what I do? And that's, that's been a lifelong conversation I've had. Is it to get awards? Is it to be seen as enough by other people? Mm. And I think that often has been the answer. And that's been the hardest thing to say, right? Is like, maybe sometimes I'm doing all these things to make other people happy in the moment, but I'm actually probably going to let someone down because I'm not going to be able to do all those things very well. Most importantly, in the long run, I just get burnt out. I would go through these cycles where I would just, my friend told me, you know, Paige, your senior year, I just remember you drinking a ton of Red Bull and not sleeping very much. And that's how I got through senior year. I don't remember a lot of my senior year, I think for that very reason. But I think getting very clear about why you're doing all the things that you're doing. So I've done a bunch of things and I, they probably sound more impressive than they are. But again, this is what I mean by haphazard. I was doing things because I thought other people thought I should do those things. Mm-hmm. Like I should join this or I should do this and I should start this because that's what other people want me to do, not because that's what I want to do. Has there been a shift for you? Like at one point where you're like, I'm not going to do that thing because it doesn't make me happy or I'm enough and I don't have to prove anything. So I'm going to take this off. How has that transition happened? When was that shift? If there, if there was like a moment or a period, a phase maybe? Yeah, that's such a great question. So I, when I was starting my job with Founder Gym, I was also helping start an organization to get women access to capital here in Portland, Oregon. So I started that with a group of women who are spectacular and did a ton of work. And I, I didn't do nearly as much work as they did. I was there to be supportive as I could because I was running my company at the same time. But the thing that was interesting to me is, uh, you know, I came off maternity leave and I had to go back to work four weeks after having my son. And I had a cesarean section. <laughs> not easy. Major surgery. It was major surgery, but I had to go back to work. Like I had to go back to work because I needed the income. We needed to to make enough money so we could keep the lights on for our kiddo. I would take him everywhere with me. And so I'm coming back from maternity leave and I start working again. I'm teaching in high schools part-time, not full-time. And then someone says like, oh, could you come and help us teach for this other organization that we helped start? And I said, oh yeah, I can do that for like 10, 20 hours a week. So I was jumping in to do that. Then I said yes to Founder Gym. So, and at the same time, I was still helping with my company that I've since passed off to um, a new owner. And as I'm doing all these things, I'm not seeing that we're starting to, uh, again, head on this burnout, right? This burnout path. So I will never forget, I got to San Francisco for a trip, a really important trip that I was on. And I got to the baggage claim and I look at my phone to find the Airbnb that we're supposed to go to for a bunch of people, not just me. And it's been canceled. And I didn't realize it had been canceled because I was so Mm. busy, I didn't see the notification. And so now my family and the other people who rely on me don't have a place to stay tonight. And I just sat on the floor and started crying. 
I didn't know what else to do. I mean, I was so exhausted. I'm nursing a toddler or an infant at this point. He's uh, less than six months old. I'm working 60 hour weeks at the very least. Mm. I'm working all the time. And this moment just reminded me that it doesn't matter how much work you do. All this stuff is going to fall apart unless you get way more strategic with your time. And we figured it out, of course, right? Like, I don't know how I figured it out, but our team got together. We figured it out and it, it happened. But I remember my husband looking at me and saying, something has got to change. You cannot mm. do this to yourself anymore. And that was the beginning of it. But actually, I want to give a shout out to someone super important in my life who the founder of Founder Gym, her name is Mandela Schumacher Hodge Dixon. And, and what I appreciate about her so much is that she, for a long time, has just kind of quietly and patiently watched me do things a certain way and said, you know, I really think you <laughs> should stop doing things that way. And it's all because she sees in me what I couldn't see in myself for a very long time. It's, you, there are lots of things you're very good at and lean into those things. You don't have to run from those things and you don't have to do 50 million things. You already do a few things really, really well. So just celebrate those things. Don't feel like you have to do everything. And don't feel like your work is what makes you worthy. Mm. And that was really hard. And I remember her telling me that in a couple of different ways. And I, I think I finally got it through my head. I hope she thinks I finally got it through my head. So thank you for doing that because she's been uh, such a patient, patient guide on this process. And my husband. Guides, yes. As you are a guide. Yeah. Guides need guides. Speaking of guides, we're coming to the last question. Oh no. There's been so many great things that you've shared already. I know our audience will get so much out of this conversation. But the last question is about the inspiration behind the podcast. And of all the things that have happened in my lifetime that have led up to me starting this, one of the most recent pushes for me was finding this quote by Les Brown that says that the graveyard is the richest place on the earth because it is here that hopes and dreams that were never fulfilled are buried, books, inventions, songs, all these things are buried in the grave from people who did not release them during their lifetime. So for our last question, our guide, our, our lifetime guide, what is the most expensive piece of wisdom, advice, or thing that you don't wanna take with you to the grave and it can be expensive and like what you actually paid for it maybe it was an expensive lesson maybe not monetarily but what do you not want to take with you to make the graveyard richer it's not about you tell yeah. us more i for a long time have taken i love feedback oh i love feedback i love getting feedback i love getting better i if, I, if you give me good feedback i'm like but what did i do poorly and how can i get better and then sometimes when i get critical feedback i think to myself oh no i'm a terrible person right and, and so one it's not about you in the sense that um, other people have their own lens and their own experience and so the work that you're doing is to to be better for everyone. So to me, like that's a big piece of it. You're, you're trying to be better for everyone. But also I've encountered people in life who I feel like have treated me really poorly, whether it's a personal level or at a national level. <laughs> and in either case, I think to myself, everyone's got their own shit. Like we all have our own stuff. Or I have my own shit. We, we all have our own stuff, right? And so the more that I can decouple myself from the way that people treat me and not spend all this time kind of ripping myself apart and just think like, oh, well, this is what happens. And maybe that person's having a bad day or maybe that person doesn't have the right experience. 
I think rooted in that is a sense of empathy. It's just being empathetic with the plight of other people, even people you don't like, people, maybe even people you hate, but having some empathy that everyone is on their own journey. And sometimes our journeys intersect in a way that are painful, but it's not about you. Hmm. And, and the more that you can start from that place, I think the more that you can serve authentically, you can help people. Maybe you can course correct people. Um, so I try to come back to that as often. It's not about me. It's, it's about my service and, and also be kind to people because you never know what's going on for them. I feel like it's loaded. It's super loaded, but I love it. No, I think it's great. It's not about you. It's not about you. Simple, but very profound, very deep. I st- I'm pretty sure I took that from someone else. And I know it's deeply embedded <laughs> in my consciousness from like 80,000 people. So I want to give everyone out there who said that to me. <laughs> Shout out. Thank you. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Paige. This has been so very fun. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and your knowledge and your humor with us. Before we get out of here, let us know where we can find you on the internet. How can people support your work? What are you working on that you want us to come to? Um, give us the, give us the details. Yeah. So you can find me on social media. I'm Paige H. Buckner on both Instagram and on Twitter. And I'm more active on Twitter than I am on Instagram. That may change this year. And I'm also on LinkedIn. So reach out if you want to connect because you have resources that maybe I can share with people or some interesting information. I always like being a a connector as much as possible. So let me know if you think there are some important ways that we should connect. Very cool. And is there, is there any other thing that you may be launching in the near future? Yeah. So I'm, uh, Stephanie, I'm working on a podcast and I love the way you say that as my beautiful, perfect accountability partner. We didn't talk about that, but Stephanie, (laughs) my accountability partner. So I'm working on launching a podcast and the theme of it is bringing people together and talking about some of the biggest challenges in their life and how those challenges have helped them follow the right path. So I'm really excited about it. It's a, it's a long year, but a short year based on what's going on right now. So I can't wait to get that out and share that with people. Very cool. And we'll make sure that makes it into the show notes so people Thank can you. support your podcast and hear you share regularly your wisdom and have conversation with the guests that you bring on there. In the meantime, by the way, we're on Founder Gym. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Founder Gym's Instagram a lot, actually. I do like key takeaways there. So that's another place you can find me at Founder Gym. Founder Gym. Okay, we'll get that all. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Please take care. And something that I've been playing with, I would love to have you back on the show. We should do like an update episode. Who knows what will happen in a year? What I love so much is that I've asked everyone pretty much the same questions. Everyone's answered completely differently, but I also think their answers will be different in like six months. 100%. I'm going to come and tell you. I'll be like, I lied to you. Okay. Everything I said. And it was a lie. It was a lie. It is about you. It is all about you. It's all your fault. Mind your business, but don't. But yes. Um, so I would love to have you back on. I would be so honored. This is really fun. Thank you for listening to my long-winded campfire stories. We'll talk to you soon. All right, I'm going to say the thing that nobody likes to hear, but didn't I tell you so? (laughs) I am curious. 
as you heard this interview, what are you taking away from what Paige said? There was one thing that immediately jumped out for me, and it was when she said, there are lots of things you're very good at. Lean into those things. You don't have to run from those things, and you don't have to do 50 million things. You already do a few things really, really well. So just celebrate those things. Don't feel like you have to do everything, and don't feel like your work is what makes you worthy. She said it all right there, folks. So we've reached that part of the program. Please find us on social media. We're on Twitter at TNWID. And we're also on Instagram at Take Nothing When I Die, all spelled out. We're also building community through Patreon. So if that is a way that you want to get involved, please go to patreon.com slash TNWID. And if you got it like that, please also consider a donation, which supports not only the production of this podcast, but also my coaching and consulting work. You can go to www.stephanieghostin.com slash TNWID. There you will find my PayPal, Venmo, and Cash App links, as well as the show notes. So if there's ever anything that you've missed, whether it's something a guest said or a link to what was referenced, or maybe some really cool episode art. All of that is housed on that portion of my site. So with that, I am going to sign off again. I am your host, Stephanie Ghost and Paul, bringing you the Take Nothing When I Die podcast. And I am leaving you with your reminder, which is maybe more applicable now than ever, that you are a living ancestor. Talk with you soon.